I think the job of sales is not to convince someone to buy. It's to stop someone from buying. And so in marketing, I want people to know that my offerings are available. But in a sales conversation, I'm not going to allow them to buy something unless I'm convinced that they're going to get value out of it. Hey, Feasters, and welcome to episode six of season four of Live in the Feast. Imagine firing your biggest revenue generating client just because they won't listen to your suggestions and just want to get a refresh on their budget for the next year. That's what Elliot Murphy, today's co-host, had to do. Elliot is founder of Kindly Ops, a DevOps and compliance consultancy firm for regulated industries. Things like GDPR, HIPAA, FDA, and many others. Elliot runs towards them like other companies look at it like it's some sort of disease. Elliot shares with us what attracted him to this industry and how he thought about specializing his business into something that each and every day, AWS is releasing a tool that makes all of this stuff easier and easier to deal with. He shares how he's staying ahead of that curve while making sure that he's providing extreme value along the way. The big takeaway for me from this discussion, and there were actually a lot of takeaways, was really how Elliot talks about the specific actions he makes in his business that makes referrals more predictable. So grab a pen and paper, you're gonna wanna take some notes. This episode is brought to you by Feast, the premium online coaching and community designed for web developers, designers, marketers, and freelancers of all type wanting to specialize their business and build recurring revenue that's profitable and sustainable. Today's market is ever-changing and yesterday's advice won't cut it. Feast members get access to the roadmap and training library, which includes everything you need to niche down, build recurring revenue, and become that go-to respected person for your services. That, together with monthly roundup calls, exclusive workshops, expert chit-chats, and our Slack community, you'll have everything you need to live the life of your own design. If you're serious about not competing on price and having clients that respect you and your expertise, then join Feast. Head over to feastcourse.com today. Feasters. Today's co-host is Elliot Murphy. Welcome, Elliot. Hi. Elliot is the founder of Kindly Ops. He helps businesses and in regulated industries with compliancy in their IT infrastructure. Things like HIPAA and GDPR, which a lot of you in the audience probably have heard about in the past, recent past, but specifically infrastructures on AWS. Elliot, why don't you tell us a little bit more about why you do what you do? Yeah. So I started Kindly Ops about three years ago after being laid off from a healthcare startup where I was CTO, sort of a third time entrepreneur. Um, but I spent about 20 years building different businesses, different product businesses. When I got laid off, I was living in a small town. I live in Portland, Maine. And all the job opportunities I was finding required me to move to a bigger city. I didn't really want to do that. 
So I decided to um, start my own thing. And that really required a shift in thinking. Most of our life, we're groomed to present ourselves in terms of skills or roles. But, you know, you and I buy stuff in terms of like what problem we want solved or what experience we want to have. Right. And so when you're trying to put together a business, you need to look at like what problem needs to be solved. And looking at what problems I was able to solve, helping people with running their cloud systems um, under a regulated environment, sort of bridging those two worlds, was something that seemed to make sense and was a lot easier to talk about than just a, a laundry list of skills. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, coming from an e-commerce background and PCI compliancy, and I worked in a healthcare design and development firm, uh, so I'm well aware of HIPAA as well. I gotta be honest, <laughs> those are things I don't want to touch with a 10 foot pole, like just to be able to <laughs> try to figure out all the dots that need to be connected and get all that stuff under wraps. I mean, I mean, it's such a complicated process. How do you essentially sell it? I mean, they know they need it, but then yeah. they don't necessarily understand all the complexities that go into it and potentially the cost. So how, how do you sell that? For sure. So, so it's funny thinking about, you know, wh what services to sell. I specifically thought it would be a good idea to pick something that wasn't so desirable, <laughs> you know, that people didn't want to touch with a 10 foot pole. Cause I think there's, um, I wanted it to be a thing where you don't end up competing against yourself. Right. So a lot of dev shops, um, you're building, you're building an app or you're doing some design work and if the company is successful or if the project is successful, you end up competing against yourself in terms of like those skills being more commoditized. People want to bring it in-house. They look at it as a negative that they're outsourcing that work. There are some categories of services that people never look at as a negative of outsourcing. Cleaning the office is one, right? So for some professional services firms, accountants, lawyers, they're super happy to outsource the cleaning of the office forever. And I figured that if we focused on this one particularly unpleasant part, we would get a lot better at it and that we could, we could, it wouldn't be miserable for us because we'd be really good at it. It would be valuable to others because they don't want to go through that big, long slog of, of learning how to do that stuff well. They just want to get it done. So many things that I want to ask all in one shot, but so that's what you started with initially. You're like, I'm going to do compliancy consultations and... Yeah. So the iteration, right? Like the sort of, the sort of like path I followed was like, oh no, what I have to put some, I have to sell something like, okay, what do I do? What do I know how to do starting from that skills thing? Um, cause I was applying for jobs and, and, you know, you're looking at it from that skills angle. But then I realized like operating infrastructure DevOps is a more portable skill set across a whole bunch of different applications. So while each of the different applications would be domain specific, what it takes to make the database go, back up the database, do performance optimizations, manage the underlying cloud infrastructure, that seemed more portable. And then I came across a great book from Philip Morgan about um, positioning. And that really helped me start narrowing down on the market side. So like, the, big, the big insight was that the same amount of technical work had different values to different customers. So the bootstrap startup that needed the same solution, that solution wasn't worth as much to them because they didn't have any money as a larger company who was going to have an executive be put in jail if they didn't meet certain laws. 
the work, the amount of work going into that solution was the same, but the value that the customer experiences was totally different. And so that helped me realize regulated industries. And that's turned out to be narrowed even further to fintech and biotech companies. Really learning those domains and this, those regulations specifically has been great. And then currently, I'm trying to narrow that down even further. So we've done a ton of consulting work for those types of customers over the last three years. And now we're trying to shift um, much more from doing into advising so that we have, we're able to get some better margins and to be able to benefit from the efficiencies um, that we've developed from like doing this stuff day in and day out for the last three years. And really like that aligns our interests more with our customers because when you're selling hours, like you want them to use a lot of hours. But when you're selling strategy and advice and insight, you know, you're trying to make them better. You're, you're trying to build capabilities inside your customer's team. And that just is such a nicer working relationship. So you said early on that you were creating a service that your customers didn't want to touch. Mm -hmm. But now you're almost stepping back from that. Right? You could, uh, are you going to train their team or hire people for them? Or what is that service going to look like? Yeah. So th in the meantime, the rest of the world keeps moving on. Right. And so there's interesting things happening from the cloud providers. When I started out, there was a much shorter list, for example, using healthcare. AWS had a much shorter list of services that were HIPAA approved, um, that were included in their HIPAA approved list. You could use other services, but you had to figure out how to make them compliant yourself. Over the last 36 months, Amazon has steadily added to that list. And so a lot more of their managed services are HIPAA compliant out of the box. Same thing with general cloud skills and AWS skills. They become commoditized over time. Uh, the cloud vendors are educating developers in the market. You know, people are learning new skills. And what was once very specialized skills in how to administer and run those services becomes much more normal. Anybody can do it. Right now, anybody can fire up 50 services on AWS and be HIPAA compliant. Whereas before, you know, you needed some special expertise to figure out how you could use some of those services in a compliant way. So in order to try and stay ahead of that shift, we've looked for the things that Amazon can't automate for you. And that ends up being the more human parts of the compliance. Gotcha. So you're essentially trying to fill the gap and staying ahead of the curve there. Yeah, absolutely. And we're trying to really hard to stay aligned with our customers, right? We're like where we're genuinely providing value, not just where we're able to trick them into buying something. Uh, we want to make sure that people feel really good that they spent money with us and that, that it was worth it. And that speaks to something that you said in our email back and forth was that regardless of whatever you're doing, like whether it's a sales conversation or on your website, an article, something like that, you want every single action interaction with you to have some value at them to walk away with something. Now, the hardcore sales people would argue that that's not best practice. You charge for the value, right? So why does that policy, so to speak, ring true to you? Why do you head in that direction? Yeah. Fundamentally, I think I have an abundance mindset or I push myself towards an abundance mindset. I've worked in the open source community for a long time and I benefit from um, using all kinds of amazing knowledge and technology that's given to me for free. <laughs> you know, I just, I learn constantly every day for free. 
And I want to genuinely help other people. I think there's a much more selfish reason for doing it, a much more practical reason, which is I think the job of sales is not to convince someone to buy. It's to stop someone from buying. And so in marketing, I want people to know that my my offerings are available. But in a sales conversation, I want to make sure that somebody's not trying to buy something. I'm not going to allow them to buy something unless I'm convinced that they're going to get value out of it. Running a consulting shop, you know, doing doing service-based work, there's a price point that I can afford to work at. And if you're smaller than that, I love you, but I just can't afford to work with you. And so being a bootstrapper myself, I've always had a, a soft spot in my heart for other people trying to start on a shoestring budget. And I really, really want to find create pieces of content or tooling or things like that, that I can afford to give them and that I can afford for them to have. And I feel like if you do that, people will remember, well, I talked to, you know, I talked to Elliot and it was useful. He wouldn't sell me anything, but I learned, I learned something useful and he pointed me in the right direction. And I don't feel like that costs me anything at all, but it creates an awful lot of goodwill. And, and I think if you, if you do the right thing, if you behave in a trustworthy way, that pays off down the road in unforeseen ways. Is that where the name of the company comes from? Kindly Ops? Kindly. I love this question. So uh, my wife and I were driving down the road trying to come up with a name for the company. You know, we're, we're talking, I guess, I guess you're starting a company. <laughs> it, needs, it needs a name. So it comes from boating. So um, a vessel that is kindly is resilient. It's not necessarily very pretty. It is not necessarily very fast, but it sure is forgiving to the operator. Um, it, it can weather some storms. Um, it's very safe, uh, and it's it's just a solid, dependable thing. And resilience is the like sort of the core value and aspiration of our company for ourselves, for our employees, and for our customers. Um, we don't go for happiness or or satisfaction or financial rewards directly, but but focus entirely on resilience with the belief that all those other things follow. I love that. That's awesome. So, in the context of marketing and sales. And for me, I, I, I'm very much of a like mind as you are. Like when I have a sales conversation, a lot of that is filtering you out, right? Like why me, why now? Those kind of questions, why not me? And really trying to make sure. I mean, I had a, a conversation through my chat widget on my website yesterday telling somebody, look, if you're looking at this for one specific reason. I'm telling you that it's not going to work for you. So don't, don't get it right. When you have that sales and marketing conversation, and if you go and you look just online for consultants, compliancy consultants, there are a ton of them out there, right? So how do you differentiate yourself or fill the gaps maybe that those other people don't have, right? Like what are they doing that you are and vice versa? How do you break through all that noise? Yeah. So the, the sales and marketing side of this stuff is what I have the least experience with and what has been the most enjoyable for me to learn about and experiment with, right? So I'm learning as I go. I feel like it's still early days for me. You know, I, I mentioned how helpful Philip Morgan's um, stuff on positioning was. And he mentions the reason that having a specific niche helps so much is because it, it overcomes marketing inefficiencies, right? And so when it's not just like compliance consultant, but it's a specific problem like HIPAA compliance on AWS, for the people who don't need you, like 
it doesn't uh, necessarily like cause any light bulbs to go off. But for someone who needs you, if you've defined the message narrowly enough, all of a sudden it makes you referable. Someone goes, oh, you know what? I do know someone who solves HIPAA compliance on AWS. Let me give you their number. Whereas if you are a general, just a general consultant or even a compliance consultant, you're not referable because it's not specific enough for someone to remember you in that moment when they're being asked for, for a reference. But I feel like there's um, an even bigger problem, which is I think most of my ideal customers don't even necessarily have the, the language to search for compliance consultant. Um, I don't think... I don't think most of them want to hire a consultant <laughs> and, and, you know, certainly aren't going to type compliance into a search box. So I feel like in my marketing, what I'm trying to do now is to educate people that these categories even exist. I think a lot about um, when I had uh, my basement flood a year ago with a sewer, a sewer drain backup, totally backed up. And like, I needed a plumber, right? Like there's a million plumbers and you look in the phone book and you Google and you're like, oh, well, this one has a website that must be better. <laughs> but there was one that was sewer drain specialists. Like that's what they did. And it was like $300. And they showed up at eight o'clock the next morning. Like they were optimized around this day. You're going to call us off business hours and you want us to show up as soon as possible. They showed up for 15 minutes with a remote control robot and it was $300. <laughs> and I would have never been happier in my life with paying that money. And now I know that like sewer drain is a category. I didn't know it before, before right. the problem and I was searching for a plumber. So in my, in my content marketing, I'm trying to make sure that I actually like educate people that categories exist. And I think we see this in marketing all over the place. Like Gartner is famous for like inventing categories. And then all of a sudden there's like solutions in that category and you start comparing things. One of the things I'm trying to do is like, just be very clear about here's the things that we don't do. And here's where you might turn for those things. Here are the things that we do. And this is what it's called. And so even if somebody's not like, oh, okay, well, actually you're not right for me. They still learned like, that's what those categories are. Here's where I can go for help. And if I need the thing that you do, now I know what it's called and I'll, it'll be much more likely that they'll find me when they need it. Mm. Yeah, I've been learning that stuff too, because a lot of, at least from my perspective, most of my business comes from word of mouth. And it sounds like that's where yours comes in. And a lot of people in the audience as well. And for content marketing, I've been trying to learn a little bit more about how to go about doing that. And I found Chris Marr, who he's founder of the Content Marketing Academy, and he talks a lot about the big five articles. And it's like, you know, pricing articles, review articles, but all of, the, all of this stuff is in the context of the buyer's journey and the awareness, right? And that's, I think what you're talking about here is the awareness stage, right? They, they know they have a problem. They just don't know how to form the proper search term to find yeah. out the solution to that problem. So you kind of have, and I was talking with Ruben Gomez about this two seasons ago, and he said the same thing where you have to figure out what those edge cases are of, you know, your solution, you know, your product or your service, but they don't, but what is it that they're going to search for first to find you and how are they going to learn about what you are, what you do? So it's, it's hard for me. I, that's this, the point at which I struggle the most with. And that's why anytime somebody comes in contact with me, I'm like, how'd you find me? <laughs> right. What did you do? <laughs> Who'd you talk to? You know, because I want to learn that stuff. Uh, 
So do you have any, I mean, you, you talked specifically about being referable. Do you do anything proactively for word of mouth campaigns or anything like that? Or is it happenstance that you get clients? Uh, it's definitely, definitely proactive. So there's a couple of things. One is speaking at conferences. Another is um, looking for companies that are very likely to have a problem I need solved or that I need to solve. They're likely to have a problem that I can solve. And so there are some pretty specific um, events in a company's growth that mean they're really likely to to need help with compliance. Specific approval points in um, creating a new drug or specific um, points in hiring when they pass a certain funding bar. And, you know, the company's got 10 job openings on their site um, in, in engineering. They don't have uh, someone hand- helping them with compliance yet, but I know that's a role that they're trying to fill in and will be trying to fill in until they grow to the point of hiring someone full-time for that. So that, that's an, a company that it's ideal to try and make contact with and, and see if I can help. So uh, I'd say half of our work has come from cold, sort of cold outreach, but doing it in a really smart and, and human way, not mass marketing at all. And then the other half has, has come from referrals. And a lot of times that's asking for referrals. So people that we've worked with um, at previous clients move on to new jobs and just, you know, maintaining that network, showing interest and being interested in what they're doing on their new job. And then also asking at some point, like, hey, you know what we do? If there's anybody that you like working with that needs our services, you know, don't forget about us. And a lot of times people will will refer someone. I think it's equally as valuable. It's 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 hysterical to me. It's equally as valuable filtering people out. So just as much as like trying to get referrals or trying to get people interested via the website, some of what we've done has been to save us some time by filtering people out before we have a conversation with them. So our website is pretty aggressive right now. Like if you're not at a million in revenue or a series A, you know, like drug development, you're not necessarily going to have any revenue for a long time um, going through going through trials. We're not, I'm sorry, but we're not the right fit for you. Things like that just save us a lot of time on the sales side. Because like I said, like I re- like we genuinely are trying to make sure that people don't buy something unless they're going to get value from it. So when you keep in contact with past clients, asking for those referrals, is it something that is a cadence within the company that happens once they become a past client? Is it like every 90 days we need a touch point just to kind of keep front of mind or is it I should be more disciplined about it but <laughs> but I, I've I've been a lot more disorganized you know we're we're still small there's there's five of us um and I do all the sales stuff myself because I, I enjoy it I'm trying to learn it and so it's been it's been a lot more random than that but it would make sense to do it that way because <laughs> I'm in, definitely intrigued by that because that's something that I've done for a long time is much what you describe it's It's not as rigid, you know, but it's like I kind of put their name on a reminder and three months later it pops up and then I might email them if I hadn't contacted them or they haven't reached back to me or something like that. But it's, there's nothing that really, like, I know there's tools out there that you put these people in a bucket and they keep nagging you until (laughs) until you do something about it. But yeah, it's amazing though, how so many people don't do that. Right. Like when I talk to people and they say, oh, yeah, most of my business is word of mouth. And so, oh, OK, so what are you doing? How, how are you getting that business? 
oh, I don't know. It just, I get a referral from somebody. I'm like, oh, but you're not asking about that? Like, how hard is it to send a three-line email to say, hey, how's business going? Just wanted to catch up. If you wanted to grab a Skype call or whatever for 15 minutes, I'd just love to touch base. It's not hard. It's not hard. And people people can see through if, if you're not doing it in a genuine way. And so I think it requires a certain mindset. The kindly mindset. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So on the flip side, you mentioned that you use your website as a filter. Now I'm intrigued on that because I've done that for a, a number of years and I put everybody through a form. And if they can't answer certain questions, like you were saying, like a you know, million dollars in revenue series A, I have questions very similar to that. And essentially, depending on the answers to those questions, they filter themselves out. And instead of me having to say no, my website says no. Is that as a, is what you're doing on your website? Do they fill out an application there? Or? So it, it's not as structured as that. So in, in our copy, we mentioned some of, those, some of those things, you know, probably not a good fit for you. We can't work with you if, you know, these things are true. It's a simple contact form right now. And then when we're scheduling the initial consult, I'll send over a list of questions, you know, Hey, what's your, what's your monthly cloud spend? And, you know, are there particular compliance milestones that you're trying to hit? You know, any of that stuff we should know about. And you can usually tell right away based on the answers to those, you know, whether this is somebody who's going to be great to work with, or if it's probably not a good fit. Mm. The filtering out process, I think a lot of people struggle with because somebody's ready to pay oh, somebody's got their wallet out, I'll take their money, right? Like, and we have bandwidth at this point in time, let's just do it, you know? Like, even if they're not an ideal fit. Now, do you struggle with that? Yeah, intellectually, right? I think we all do. Where like, well, if there's if there's money available, I should try and get it. But I, I mean, I really have to force myself to stand back and go like, no, I should only do the work with them if they're going to be delighted and and happy and get a ton of value out of it. And if we're going to be happy doing the work, which means they're going to let us lead in the engagement, they're going to be open to our expertise. You know, I've had to fire the biggest client I ever had because the it was a, a large dollar amount contract over a long period of time they wanted to renew, but they were not interested in making any of the improvements or hearing a single thing we had to say. They just wanted to hire us to build up their budget numbers for building, you know, a little political kingdom inside this, this big multinational corporation. That type of interaction with a client was demotivating for everybody working on the account. You feel really bad at the end of the day. You didn't learn anything. You know, they didn't listen to anything you were trying to help with. Nobody really cares. Uh, You might get, you know, you pay your bills at the end of the month, but it's just very demotivating. And if I go for, for that work, yeah, that's money, but I'm not going to be able to make it an attractive place to work for anybody. And eventually it's going to burn me out. And so, so like, I think that's just shooting yourself in the foot. It can be hard sometimes to slap yourself and go like, it's really not a good idea, but you're, you know, your gut is telling you the whole time and you just have to sort of have the determination to do it, even if it feels scary, because it does feel really scary. Yeah, a hundred percent. I've been there many times before and every, and that's why I say now I, I have to trust my gut and not think too much, right? Because if I think too much, that's going to get in the way, but my gut is telling me that, you know what, this isn't really a good fit and it's not going to end well, because as you said, it's demotivating for yourself. But on the other end, from the client's perspective, yes, they're getting what they want, maybe, 
but are they ecstatic? Are they raving yeah, fans? Yeah, they're not are delighted. They, right. So, yeah, I'm I'm all on board with that for sure. It's and but it's hard. It is hard, and especially if you know that you have bills to pay. It's time to come up on those you know monthly bills, and especially with you with employees. I have I'm just a, I'm solo, right? So if there's ever an employee, I'm like, okay, that person needs to eat. <laughs> it's super important, right? You're like, you're making decisions that affect people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. So I can, I can only imagine the stress. I know the stress that I go through <laughs> when I have that war with myself. Now it's like, okay, well now you added just something, somebody else onto that side of the equation. I mean, I'm sure it's difficult. <laughs> I mean, this has been outstanding, Elliot. For those of you that are listening and Elliot has been so gracious. If you go to his website, kindlyops.com, he's offering a free hour-long AWS checkup for anyone that wants to mention the show, mention this podcast, and he'll be happy to give you that free hour of AWS work in his name. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, mention the show and we'll um, do a security checkup and give you as much advice as we can possibly pack into the hour. Awesome. Great. Thanks for that, Elliot. I appreciate that. So what's next for you? Like the next six, 12 months, what's, what's next for Kindly Ops? Yeah. So I mentioned that, you know, there's a certain size customer that we can afford to work with doing consulting work, right? Um, there's, a, there's sort of a, a minimum bar there. I'm really interested in productizing some of this so that it's available to people who do have a smaller budget. We're building an open source governance and compliance product called Haven GRC. You can see the splash page. It's it's not launched yet, but you can see a splash page at havengrc.com. And one of the first things that is going to have in it is a security culture diagnostic survey. So people will be able to take that for free, identify the four common security cultures that and see where their organization falls and have some insight, you know, in us like how can I think about changing or influencing the security culture in my organization, given this diagnostic. And we're hoping to, to build out a whole, a whole roadmap full of tools into that product that's going to be available open source. One of the things I'm really, really passionate about is I mentioned being laid off from the healthcare startup. I saw tons and tons of healthcare research that has not made it into industry yet because people are afraid of the regulatory burden, the compliance overhead. And so I'm really passionate about, as a sort of byproduct of the work that we do, producing really useful open source tools that make it possible or that, that like reduce that burden, that reduce that cost for everybody sort of helps float all the boats. And I just think that's going to like have a bigger impact on the world than the consulting work will. That's awesome. I love that. Well, where can folks reach out and say thanks? Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T at kindlyops.com. I'm always happy to talk to people. I do have a Twitter account. I haven't been on in about a year. Uh, (laughs) So email is probably the best way to get in touch with me. There is a contact form on the website, kindlyops.com. I'm always happy to talk to people and try and point them in the right direction. I really enjoyed getting to talk with you about this. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it and sharing your story and telling the world about the scariness, but also the kindness of niching down. Appreciate that. And for everybody listening, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. I love that part about smart, cold outreach as well. 
predictable referrals, as well as smart cold outreach, I know that's something all of us can do much better. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, then head on over to liveinthefeast.com and subscribe. While you're there, leave Elliot and I a five-star rating and review in iTunes as it will help others find this episode as well if you haven't already done so. Next week, we'll be back with Troy Dean talking about how to craft a proper elevator pitch and ultimately differentiate yourself in the market. Until then, it's your time to live in the feast. Mm -hmm.